Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Father's Day message out of the book of Deuteronomy. Interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, when we're reading from verses 1 through 9. Now, most times, the experiences that I've had, not always, but most of the experiences that I've had on Father's Day have been experiences where I have felt like when I've left the service that I've been beaten up so bad that I was beaten, bloodied, and bruised, and there was no hope for me as a dad. I mean, many of you have probably felt the same way. I don't want to be that way this morning. I don't want this message to be that way. I want this message to be a message of encouragement for us fathers. Now listen, as I said on Mother's Day, just because this message is directed at fathers doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to get something out of this message. And so I encourage you right now to ask God, to, to, to as the Spirit speaks to you, to ask God that the Spirit reveal to you what the Spirit needs to reveal to you this morning. But the message is going to be directed at fathers. We're going to be in an encouraging message. Now listen, it'll be challenging. It's going to be challenging. But it's going to be encouraging as well. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 9. If you found that passage, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word uh, this morning. The Bible says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you. All the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel. And be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord. The God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Father God, we come to this time of service. Lord, what we hear from you, Lord, I pray that we hear from you, Lord. I pray that as fathers that we understand the importance of what it means to be a father, understand the importance of what it means to be the spiritual leader of our home, Father. For I pray that, that you open our hearts and our minds, that we hear from you, 
this morning. Lord, we thank you for this glorious day that you've given us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Father's Day has an interesting history. I don't know if you've ever studied the history of Father's Day. Obviously, a Father's Day is a day that we celebrate fathers. It's to recognize the influence that fathers have had in our homes and in our society as well. And it's celebrated on the third Sunday of June every year. It's believed that Father's Day was first observed on June 19th in 1910 in Spokane, Washington, through the efforts of Sonora Smart Dodd. A little bit about Miss Sonora. Miss Sonora was a Christian woman, so she thought she understood the importance of, of fatherhood. She understood the importance of biblical fatherhood. Her mother had died and she was uh, young and she wanted to commemorate and honor fathers like her own who had raised her and her five children. Here's the interesting part. When she solicited the idea of an official day for Father's Day, she was met with opposition and even derision. There were those who thought that that was silly. It was, it shouldn't we have a day for recognizing fathers. Persevering like all Christians should do when we face adversity, a bill was introduced in Congress in 1913. As of 1916, however, the bill was still being resisted by Congress, even though Woodrow Wilson, president at the time, encouraged his passing when he spoke at a Father's Day celebration in Spokane. In 1914, 1924, Calvin Coolidge got involved. And in 1913, a national committee was formed by various trade groups in an effort to legitimize Father's Day. The resistance continued, however. In 1963, President Lyndon uh, Johnson made a proclamation for the third Sunday of June to be Father's Day, but it was still not recognized as a national holiday until finally, finally in 1972, 59 years after the initial introduction of Father's Day to be a national holiday, President Nixon made Father's Day an official holiday, and it's celebrated again on the third day of June each year. Now, when we consider our passage this morning, we need to understand that Moses is not interested in a particular day to honor fathers. That's not his intent. Moses had been given a much greater mission. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He had led them in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering for their disobedience. Moses had seen the faithfulness of God. He had seen the wonders of God. He had seen the love of God and the holiness of God. And Moses was God's man. He was God's prophet. He was sent to do just exactly what he did, lead the children of Israel out of, uh, children of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt to lead and guide God's people. And he come to this passage. This is the, the teachings that God had given Moses and Moses was in turn supposed to give to the people of Israel. Now Deuteronomy, it means second law. It's basically the retelling of Moses in the book of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. In this passage of Moses, it gives the people of Israel the greatest commandment, but also see what it, what it does as well. It also gives us, as we read through this passage, an understanding of the essentials of leading our homes. And so this morning, what I want to do, I want us to reclaim biblical fatherhood. Listen, we live in a society. 
That wants to have nothing to do with family. That wants to have nothing to do with fathers. And all those kind of things. And we need to reclaim biblical fatherhood. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. As Moses, the main point is this. That Moses shared with the people of Israel the greatest commandment. And in that we can see the essentials for leading our homes. And so that's what we need to understand as fathers this morning. The greatest commandment has essential truths that we can glean from lead for leading our homes. We're going to see those this morning. There's going to be six of them uh, this morning that we as fathers can do the six things to reclaim biblical fatherhood. If you have your bulletin, there's an outline in there you can follow along as well. Number one, fathers. I encourage you to be a man who loves and worships God above everyone and everything. Be a man who loves and worships God above everything. Look at verse 4 in Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen, this should be a natural starting point. This portion of Scripture, it's known as the Shema. It's known as the Shema. The word hear there is the Hebrew word Shema. This is part of the daily devotion to the Jewish community. They would do this and, and, and recite this two times each day. It was the most important prayer in Jerusalem. It was the most important prayer in Jerusalem. Why was it so important? Because one of the object of the love of the people. Moses said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is the object of our love. He's the object. The significance of this prayer here is this. The prayer acknowledges the Lord God. It acknowledges Yahweh Elohim to be the one true God. The only God. And it speaks to the superiority. It speaks to the supremacy of God. And us as fathers, listen, when we love, we've got to love God first. God has got to be our object of our love. He's got to be the vertical relationship that we've got to have. And the horizontal will go from there. But it speaks of loving God. God being the object of our love. The Jewish people themselves, they would have acknowledged the lordship of God. So Moses said, listen, we need to start with this. The Lord our God, we need to recognize who God is. We need to recognize that God is the one of our worship. He is the object of our Love, But notice what he does in verse 5. There's a command. So he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Notice the depth of our love. Dads. This is not surface level love here. This is not saying, oh, I love you. No, this is everything about you, the heart, the soul, and the mind. It thinks it speaks of our thoughts, it speaks of our emotions, it speaks of our feelings and our actions. It's everything about us. It's our entire being. We're to love God that much. That's the depth of our love that, that Moses is talking about here. We see that also. There's also a command to worship. Listen, we, we live in a world. Dads, where we're, we're surrounded by things that distract us, surrounded by things that, that replace our love of God. 
It's a reality, but we have got to stand firm. We've got to reclaim our love and reclaim that love and make sure God is the object of our love. Notice there's also a command here to worship. If you look over in verses 14 and 15, he says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Dads, we've got to recognize the other gods that are in our lives. Maybe there's other things and other idols that we worship. Instead of God, God's got to be not only our number one in love, but our number one in worship as well. God is not only the object of our love, but he's the object of our worship. We can worship many different things. We can worship work. We can worship family. We can worship hobbies. But all these things, all they do is they take place of God. They take place of our primary focus. They take place of the object of our worship, and that is God himself. That is God himself. Listen, if we put God in his rightful place, don't you think he's going to take care of the rest of that? If God is in our his rightful place, if God is our priority, he takes care of our work. He takes care of our family. He takes care of our hobbies. We've got to put God as our object of our worship and our love. Moses makes the point. He says, well, why? Because God is a jealous God. What does that mean? Does that mean God is envious? Does that mean God is jealous in that sense? No, it doesn't mean that. It's not that God is jealous or envious because we have something he wants Or he needs. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't want anything from us except for what? Our undivided love and worship. That's what God wants from us. It's not that. We can't give God anything. He's got everything. But when we give something to another that is rightfully his, that's when God gets jealous. That's when God gets angry. Notice the seriousness there. He says, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you. And he says what? And he destroy you off the face of the earth. There's consequences. There's consequences, church, to our disobedience. There's consequences to us dads putting God, putting things other than God first and foremost as the object of our love and our worship. Notice also verse 6. And these words I command you, you today shall, the, 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 you, uh, I command you today shall be on your heart. What is Moses is saying, Moses saying there? He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about a relationship. In order for us to put God first, in order for us to put God as the object of our love and the object of our worship, there must be a relationship Between that individual and who? God. And a relationship between that individual and God comes through who? Christ. We put the commands on our heart. We find those on our heart. We have to have a relationship with God. Because if we do not have a relationship with God, then we're not going to put the commands of God on our heart. We're going to put the commands of the world on our hearts. 
It's a perfect opportunity here to present the gospel. Maybe you're a father in here who's never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never put the commands of God on your heart. Maybe you've not followed Christ that way. There's a simplicity in the message of the gospel. Sometimes I think we get it a little out of whack. Sometimes I think we... We, we, we think it's just this amazing thing that the, the, it's, it's unreachable, but it's not. It's not. The way I present the gospel is this way. The way I presented in Vacation Bible School, if you know anything about Vacation Bible School, A, B, C. Admit, believe, and confess. What am I admitting? You're admitting that you're a sinner. Sometimes we need to understand and we all we all need to understand that we're not sinners because we do bad things. Because the implication of there would be if I don't do bad things, I'm not a sinner. We're sinners by nature. We sin because we're sinners. We do bad things because we're sinners. We do bad things because the very nature of you and me is sin. We were born that way. We've got to admit that. Who are we admitting that to? We're admitting it to God. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Be, believe. What am I believing? I'm believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus did die on the cross for me and for you. And that He rose on the third day from the grave to give us the opportunity to have eternal life. That's what I'm believing and then once I admit that I'm a sinner, once I believe in Jesus, gee, He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for me, and that He rose from the grave on the third day, listen, then I confess that. I confess that. It's only through Christ, what am I confessing? That it's only through Christ that I can be saved. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the only way. Christ is the only way. So we confess that. We confess that Jesus is the only way that I can be saved. We confess that Jesus is my Lord, is our Lord. And we commit ourselves to live a life of following Jesus and serving others. Just what Sophie's done. She's made that commitment to follow Christ. It's her personal Lord and Savior. So the way we put those commands on our hearts, Dad, is to have that vertical relationship. With God. So if you don't have that relationship, that's where it has to start. So I encourage you this morning. I implore with you this morning to find that relationship, to cry out to God, to admit and believe and confess. That relationship comes first. I want to give you this statistic that Billy Graham has quoted as saying. Speaking of the Philippian jailer narrative in Acts 16.31 where the Philippian jailer's family was, was saved. He says, I learned that home, homes in which the father came to faith in Christ first. The entire family came to faith 60% of the time. In homes where the wife came to Christ first, 40 to 50% of the families accepted Christ. 
when the child came to faith in Christ first, only 25% of them saw the entire family become Christians. Dads, your relationship with God is so, so very important to your family. I encourage you to love God and worship God above everyone and everything else. First John 4, 15, it says, Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in Christ. Love and worship God with an unreserved, wholehearted commitment to him. Dads, let's move on. Number two, Father, I encourage you to be a man of prayer. Second Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Prayer, it's our direct line of communication with God. When we have that relationship with God, when we love God and worship God, above all else, prayer is our line of communication with God. You want to know how to best help your family? Pray. You want to know how to best help your daughter, that your daughter marries a godly man? Pray about it. You don't want to know where you need to go, what you need to do, and how you need to conduct your business? Pray about it. Be a man that rises in the morning in prayer and goes to bed at night in prayer. Think of the privilege, Dad, that it is that we get to go before an almighty God and cry out to almighty God on behalf of our family, on behalf of our friends, on behalf of our co-workers, on behalf of our business. What a privilege it is for us to be able to do that. God hears our prayers, Dad. But not only does God hear our prayers, God answers our prayers. I encourage you to be a man of prayer. Be a man of prayer. Be a man of prayer. Be a man who seeks the face of God on a constant and a consistent basis. Prayer is one of the most, if not the most, practical tests of assessing one's growth in grace. Be a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When told about the distress of his countrymen, the walls of Jerusalem broken down and its great its gates destroyed. The Bible says this about Nehemiah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah engaged in prayer for three whole months for his countrymen. Because he knew the importance of prayer. He understood the importance of prayer. He understood the insignificance of prayer. King David was a man of prayer. See that in the Psalms. Elijah was a man of prayer. James fifteen seventeen says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Jesus prayed. Jesus is our example. So we should follow Christ as our example. Be a man of prayer, Dad. Be a man of prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. We praise God through prayer. The purpose of our prayer is for God's kingdom to come here on earth. 
We pray for our provisions. We pray for our pardon. We pray for protection and praise. When asked by his Sunday school teacher why his family gets bread every day from the local market, the young young man replied, because if we did not get bread every day, our bread would get stale. And that, fathers, is why we need to pray every day. Because when we don't get when we don't pray every day, our lives get stale. James five sixteen, the uh, second part of, uh, of verse sixteen. James writes this: the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, fathers, let me encourage you to be a man of prayer. Prayer is our lifeline. A powerful prayer life is developed through prayer. Be a man of prayer. Because there's something else this morning. A third thing. Fathers, I encourage you to be a man who fears God. Be a man who fears God. With the first part of verse 2, he says, That you may fear the Lord your God. Fear, it's a Hebrew word, yare. It means to, it means reverence. It means honor. Now, this is not the type of fear that conditions terror or foreboding. This fear is as profound reverence of God. And when we, when we recognize God, when we love God and we worship God, we revere Him, knowing who He is and what He's done for us. Thanking Him. Understanding that He is Lord of our life. And we recognize that and we respond accordingly. It speaks of giving honor and reverence to the object of our fear. And the object is God Himself. Notice the extent of that though. He says, your sons and your, and your, you, your son and your son's sons. Fathers, when we fear God, our families recognize that. They see that in us. We are their example. In our fear of the Lord. I fear that we've lost sight of that. We've lost sight of the reverence due God. We fear man. We fear the government. We fear our culture. We compromise. We bow down to the secular world instead of bowing down to the God of heaven. He is the one that we should revere. He is the one that we should fear. Fathers, let me encourage you to fear God. Your family needs that. Your family sees that. The Israelites too, they lost the fear of God. They were chasing after other gods. They were worshiping other gods. And we know what God did to them. Yahweh, Elohim, the one true God. He is the object of our reverence. He is the object of our worship and our love. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Writers of Ecclesiastes, let me, let me apply it this way. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this. He said, the end of the matter, all has been heard. He said, fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. To fear God and keep his commandments. So Moses, he's clear about the fear of God. And that leads us to the next encouragement. Number four. Father, let me encourage you to be a man of the book. 
Be a man of the book. Capital B. Capital B. Look at Deuteronomy, the second part of verse 2. And the third part. He says, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. The commandments. The commandments are found in the book of Scripture. They're found in God's Word. Think about the benefit, dads, that we have that the Israelites didn't have at the time. We have the entirety of Scripture. All they had was the Torah at the time. They had the first five books of the Old Testament. We have the entirety. We know the end of the story. I read Revelation 22 this morning. I know the end of the story. We know the promises of God. The ones that have been fulfilled. We know all those things. So we've got to be men of the book. We've got to be men of the book. Our kids need to see us reading Scripture. They need to see us during our devotions. They need to see us in prayer. I encourage you, fathers, to be a man of the book. Moses says to keep. Keep means to observe. It means to watch. It means to preserve. It talks about the statutes and the commandments. Those are simply the, the rules and the laws or the regulations of God. Commandments is a general term for the comprehensive list of laws uh, or body of laws given in the, to the Lord by the, uh, the book of Moses. Listen, the commandments and the statutes are found here. They're found here. So let me encourage you to be a man of the book. Notice the duration. It says all the days of our lives. It's not a day goes by that we don't find ourselves in God's word. All the days of our lives. It gives them a benefit. Your days may be long. Now Israel's fate, it rested on their obedience. It rested on their obedience to this one great commandment. If they obeyed the commandment, their life would be long. It would be filled with blessings. If they did not obey, they could expect the cursed by God. Proverbs ten seventeen. it says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. Where do you find that instruction? In God's word. God's word. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. And that doesn't mean, Dad, that we just hang on to them. We read them and just let them go. No, we've got to read them and we've got to be obedient to them. There's action involved in that. When I study God's word, when I read God's word, we've got to keep the commandments of God. We've got to put them into action. Notice there's a command in verse Three says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. It may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. If the Israelites had been obedient to the commands of God, they would have multiplied greatly. They would have many blessings. Same holds true for us when we're obedient to the commands of God. Will it be difficult? Yes, it might be difficult. But the blessings are going to be many. The blessings are going to be many, even blessings that we're not even ever going to know or ever going to see when we are men of the book. Be careful to do them. James one twenty two it says, be doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving yourselves. Be 
Some practical applications, dads. Let me give you some application here. How do we become men of the book? Well, we read God's Word. Maybe get you a good reading plan. A good reading plan where you can follow through with Scripture and read through Scripture. Maybe a Bible app on your phone whenever you're out. Waiting on the kids to pick up the kids at school. You can open up your Bible app. We study God's Word. Get you a good study Bible. Get you a good commentary or whatever. But study the Word of God. And when we read and we study God's Word, then we meditate on God's Word. We meditate on God's Word. The Bible says when it talks about meditating, it's talking about chewing the cud. We, we chew the proverbial cud. That means when I meditate on God's Word and I read and I study God's Word and I pick out that verse and I'm studying on that verse and I'm chewing it over. When I get the benefits out of that, I you know, I, I re-chew it. Maybe there's something else that I learned. Maybe there's something else that I need to see. We meditate on God's Word. Get yourself a devotional time whenever that's best for you. Scripture memorization. Memorize Scripture. Great, great, great ways to study God's Word, to be a man of the book. Get yourself involved in a discipleship group at your your church or your local church or whatever. Get one together at work or whatever. Those are great ways for you to be a man of the book. Charles Spurgeon, when asked what is more important, praying or reading the Bible, he said this. What is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Get the point. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, Jesus said that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who did what? He built his house on the sand or on the rock. And when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because why? It was founded on the rock. It was founded on the word of God. It's founded on Scripture, the idea that we can reclaim biblical fatherhood and not be men of the book is frankly insanity. It's insanity. We must ground our lives on the foundation of the word of God and his holy scripture. Let's move on. Number five this morning. Fathers, let me encourage you to be a man who teaches his family well. He teaches his family well. Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 9 and these words I command you, that you, keep them on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on the, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fathers, we're the spiritual leaders of our home. We're the spiritual leaders we should be. In the context here, the father in, in Jewish times, they were required to, in biblical times, they were, they were required to circumcise their son. They were required to redeem him. They were required to teach him the Torah and his family as well. They were required to do all these things. They were required to be the spiritual leaders of their homes. He played a vital role in the lives of their children. He played a vital role both physically and spiritually. Notice what it says. It says, teach them diligently. Teach them the commandments. What does diligently mean? It means constant. There's constant instruction. This is not a hit or miss proposition here. 
doesn't mean that we teach them one day and then let it go for three or four days and then teach them something else. No, it's a constant talk. It's clearly, it's verbal communication. Notice the two pairs of opposites. It's all encompassing there. He says, when you, when you, when you sit in your house, so when we're sitting down in the house, or when we're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, it's all encompassing. It's all inclusive. Anywhere, anytime, any place, any activity, we should be talking to our children about the commandments of God at mealtime. If you have dinner together, that's a perfect time. On your way to school, taking your kids to school, picking them up from school. I had a friend at the previous church that I was at. He was telling me a story about him and his son were out in the garden. They were doing some work in their garden, and the boy, he was he was he was he was in middle school at the time, and he said, "Man, Dad, why are there so many weeds? Why are there so many weeds?" Well, son, let's go back to the Book of Genesis. He tells he told him the story about sin, and he told him the story about remember Genesis and what God told Adam. You're going to work the ground by the sweat of your brow. Any conversation, I tell people this all the time, any conversation can be turned into a spiritual conversation. I mean, we think it's important to teach our kids to brush their teeth. We teach our kids to take a shower. I hope you do. We teach our kids to change the oil in the car. We teach our kids to drive the car. We teach our kids to play sports and cut grass and etc. All those are great and necessary things, but all those things are temporal in nature. What are we teaching our kids about Scripture? You think about brushing your teeth. How can that be turned into a spiritual conversation? We brush our teeth to keep us healthy physically. And just like brushing our teeth, we study God's Word to keep ourselves healthy spiritually. Simple. Simple. Verses 8 and 9, it simply furthers the point that Moses is trying to make. He says, keep these teachings close to you. Those frontlets, they were called uh, phylacteries. It was a box that contained these verses, and they would attach these boxes to their hands and their foreheads with pieces of leather. So they would keep them near them. They would keep them close. When they're out, they would have them. When they're, when they're here, they would have them. The mezuzah, it was a small box that was attached to the doorways and the gates containing these verses uh, and other scriptures. In other words, wherever they were, they had access to these scriptures. They had access to the Word of God. And they taught their children. Look at verses 20 and 25. 23-20, When your sons ask you in a time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us a, the, the land that he swore to give us. And our fathers, the Lord, commanded us to do all these statutes. Fear the Lord, our God, for all good, uh, for our good always, that he might preserve, our, preserve us alive and as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us and it, if we careful to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. 
opportunities to teach our children, opportunities to, to, to teach our children to remember what God has done for us. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I like how the New King James Version says, the training and the admonition of the Lord. We're not to provoke our kids, dads. We're not to irritate or rub the wrong way. We're not to foster negativity in our children. Discipline there, it means to, it's part of teaching our family well. Part of teaching our kids is to discipline our kids. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So discipline is part of teaching our children. Admonition, it speaks of reminding our child of their faults, doing that constructively, of course. And their duties, their responsibilities. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. And maybe some of us have said this. I don't want to force my spiritual belief on my children. I don't want to have, I want, I want them to have an open mind about what they believe. But let me assure you this of one thing this morning. If you don't hear anything I say, remember this. If you don't force your religion on your child, if you don't force your beliefs on your child, somebody else will. Somebody else will. Are you willing to take that risk, dads? Are you willing to take that risk? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's Word is capable to be taught for everything that we need it to be taught for. Our responsibility, dads, as a father, is to teach our family the truths of God's Word, to discipline our families under the watchful eye of God's Word. Let me encourage you to be a man who teaches his family well. And finally, number six, fathers, let me encourage you to be a man who has a is a healthy example to his family. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, there may be fathers that may not be married. But those of you who are, there are two particular aspects that we're going to address here. Husbands, fathers, love your wives well. Love your wives well. Gives the example of Christ. That's a self-sacrificial love. That's that agape love. Jesus loved the church so much that He did what? He gave Himself as a sacrifice for her. Fathers, love your wives well. Your boys see that. Your boys will emulate that. It's an example to our children the sons, they'll, they'll, they'll see the husband that they need to be one day. Your daughters, when they see you loving your wife well, they'll say to themselves, that is exactly the husband that I want to have. I didn't have any daughters, but I was reminded one time that the dad is the first person that the daughter falls in love with. That's a huge example to have. That's a huge thing. So who do you want your daughter to fall in love with, Dad? Who do you want your daughter to fall in love with? Also, character. 
Make sure your character is the, the character is the sum of our disposition, our thoughts, our intentions, our desires, and actions. A.W. Tozer defines character this way. He says, the excellence of moral beings. Make sure our morals are being displayed the way they need to be displayed. They're being destroyed in our culture. Be men who are blameless. Be men who practice Christian virtues. Be a man who guards his heart. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Be a man of character, Dad. Be a man who loves his his wife well. Be a man who keeps good company. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I encourage you dads to be a man who has a healthy example for his family. Titus 2, 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. Have nothing evil to say about us. Lead by example, dads. Our example is none other than Christ Himself. And if we model our lives after this, everything else flows accordingly. Our vertical relationship is important for our horizontal relationships. It's all about the vertical. So let me close. I began again. I didn't want to be a discourager, but I wanted to encourage you this morning. I wanted to encourage us to be men who worship and love God above all else. I want to encourage us to be men of prayer. To be men who fear God. To be men of the book. To be men who teach our families well. To be men who are healthy examples for our families. Those are all challenges for each and every one of us. If you're in here and you're a dad. If you're in here and you're a young man and one day you will be a dad, that's a challenge for you as well. We all can be encouraged by this. There are probably areas that you found yourself, you know what, I'm I'm doing fairly well in that area. Praise God for it. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We all got work to do. I was encouraged by some of this as I studied and I was discouraged by a lot of it. And I had to repent of many of the things that I had struggled with as a father, being the spiritual leader of my home. Let me close this way. Fathers, we may always be reminded. May we always be reminded that God demands us to be biblical fathers. Our families deserve it. And will benefit greatly from it. The question then is this, and it's a simple question. Will you and I embrace the responsibility of biblical fatherhood? Let's pray.
Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.